Do you like wonder? Do you like women? I mean, I sure hope so. Do you like the opulent and neon 1980s? If so, then maybe, just maybe, you'll like the 2020 superhero action film Wonder Woman 1984. I'm Aaron Potter. And I'm Andy Potter. And you're listening to AP Approved. Well, welcome everybody to our show this week. As we just mentioned, we're talking about a very recent movie, uh, right from the end of last year, 2020, the sequel to the excellent Wonder Woman film, Wonder Woman 1984. Andy, just immediate reaction. Would you? How'd you feel about this movie? It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it yeah. was just really cool to watch. There's a lot of cool, bright colors mm-hmm. and very neon. Like yep. neon is exactly the right <laughs> word to describe this. And, like, I just love all the poster art and everything, too, which is so, like, neon and colorful. Yeah. And we had to look at that poster art for a long time right. before we got to see the movie. <laughs> so when was the movie supposed to come out? Like, I think it was supposed to come out in the spring of 2020. Because yeah. there was a whole bunch of movies that were supposed to come mm-hmm. out that we didn't actually get to see in the spring because all the movie theaters were closed. So this was the first big blockbuster. Uh, Tenant was the first big blockbuster yeah. to come out post-movie theaters closing down. But this was the first you know, one that we'd been waiting for to come out. So that was exciting. Yeah. Came out Christmas Day and we saw it just shortly after. Still waiting for Black Widow. I know. (laughs) Got got more great female superheroes. And I think Wonder Woman did kind of so-so at the box office. So, you know, Marvel's holding out hope that they'll be able to wait a little longer and get a bigger box office turnout. Marvel says, we deserve better. Yeah, right. (laughs) And DC is like, we'll do what we can. Yeah. <laughs> accurate, accurate. They know, Marvel, that we will all wait patiently and obediently as their servants. We will. <laughs> for uh, Black Widow to come out. Oh, yeah. But yes, Wonder Woman 1984 was a lot of fun. Um, I really loved the first Wonder Woman movie, obviously. So it was just really Fun to see Diana again, see her in a, a different time and sort of a different position in life and at the 80s, you know, it's just fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very fun. The 80s setting, we'll talk more about that, but that's really, really fun here. So just brief uh, intro to the whole thing, um, just to kind of get us started here. And spoilers, spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Um, at least around here, theaters are open again um, with plenty of precautions and things like that, so you can go see it in theaters. It's also still, uh, not for much longer, I don't think, but still on HBO Max if you want to stream it, uh, so there's ways to watch it. Uh, but this is your spoiler warning. We are going to get into some spoilers for this movie, uh, so there you go. Come back and listen after you've seen it if you haven't yet. So what is the movie about? The movie is about Diana, the princess of Themyscira, princess of the Amazons. Uh, in her civilian life, she goes by Diana Prince. Um, she is this goddess, daughter of Zeus and the Amazon queen Hippolyta. She's, you know, you have to watch the first movie to get the whole backstory, but she's living, uh, she's immortal. So she's living through the decades after kind of leaving home during world war one. Um, and now at this point, she's an anthropologist working at the Smithsonian in New York city, no Washington DC, excuse me. Um, working at the Smithsonian, and obviously, of course, her real job is as Wonder Woman, fighting crime and saving people. 
Um, but she's working as an anthropologist at the Smithsonian. And then the story kind of begins with somebody new coming to work with her at the museum. Uh, that's Kristen Wiig's character, Barbara Minerva, uh, a.k.a. the villain Cheetah from the comics, which we'll get into. Uh, and the story starts off when this mysterious artifact gets stolen uh, from a local black market uh, in D.C., and it ends up at the Smithsonian, then uh, Barbara and uh, Diana have to identify it. Uh, and it's this weird stone that has the power to grant wishes. Of course, they don't know that at first. Um, and it's being chased by this guy, this um, oil tycoon, or at least that's how he markets himself, Maxwell Lord, uh, who is played by the remarkable Pedro Pascal, the, the Mandalorian. Mandalorian, the best, except we get to see his face more in this one. Which is pretty good. And he's a lot less nice than the Mandalorian. That's, yeah, that's not so you know. good. I mean, I guess they have in common that they both care about their kid a lot. Yeah, they right. do. Uh, Maxwell Lord makes more mistakes than the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Although I suppose the Mandalorian leaves Baby Yoda alone too often, so. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true. Maybe, maybe it's basically the same character. Who knows? Who knows? Both of them get better as the story goes along, ultimately. <laughs> Uh, but Max Lord definitely makes a lot of poor decisions. So Max Lord is hunting after this magic wishing stone. Um, and things begin to get weird as people begin to wish on the magic stone. So Diana wishes for her boyfriend, Steve Trevor, played by Chris Pine, to come back from the dead. She doesn't really realize that it's actually going to happen. She just kind of, you know, wishes for it because she's lonely. Um, Barbara, who is very kind of mousy and nobody ever really listens to her, pays attention to her, respects her, and she's kind of got become a huge fan of Diana, wishes to be beautiful and strong and confident like Diana, and pretty quickly she just kind of gains a new strut uh, in her step and becomes kind of this beautiful, confident, uh, kick-ass lady uh, like Diana is. Uh, but Max Lord uh, goes the farthest, and he actually wishes to become this magic stone, and he wants to be the one that grants wishes. And then he proceeds to go around and ask people what their wishes are. Uh, and the world begins to kind of fall apart as the fabric of reality kind of gets torn apart by all these reckless wishes. Uh, and we won't tell you every little detail. You'll have to watch the movie to get the full scope. But in the end, of course, um, Barbara kind of loses her humanity to the stone and becomes the cheetah, becomes the superpowered uh, cheetah-like villain uh, who fights Diana to... Um, be able to retain her wish and in the end Diana has to give up her true love Trevor in order to save the world uh, do the right thing not take a shortcut as is a big lesson of the movie to help stop Max Lord and in the end manages to convince Max Lord that you know his son uh, and his son's life and survival is much more important than having all the power in the world and stuff like that and we'll get more into that I'm sure uh, and Max and all the various people of the earth give up their wishes to allow the world to go back to the way it was. And in the end, uh, by convincing them to do that, Diana saves the day. And Wonder Woman is, of course, victorious. Yes. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about our experience watching the movie, Andy? Yeah, so Wonder Woman was one of our first... Well, we, we watched a couple of movies back in October um, when things were open up again, and then they sort of closed down again for November and December... And then they opened back up again, uh, I think, in December or J- January, sometime December, yeah. December. So we went and saw this movie at um, Celebration Cinema's Studio Park location, which is pretty fun because there's little recliners and um, it's pretty nice. 
and fun downtown uh, area. But then also nice thing about uh, Studio Park is that since they have the recliners and it's sort of a more specialized place, I think their rows are much further apart. And um, the cinema has been working with this cinema safe guidelines and um to us it just seemed like even though of course we all have to do our part right now and and try to stay safe it's it seemed like a a safe enough activity to do we we wore our masks the entire time they aren't allowing concessions right now so everybody wears their masks the rooms are are not that big but they um circulate the air and there was really only about three or four other people in that room with mm-hmm. us and we were all in different rows. So um, we felt that it was pretty safe and we were just very excited to be back in the movie theater after um, a long time of not being able to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like there's plenty of space, not too many people. It's not hard to social distance. So yeah, that's important. Social distancing, keeping ourselves safe, but also happy to be able to support our local theaters and mm-hmm. keep those businesses running too um, while also being safe. So that's a good good balance to strike there, I think. Yeah, and big action films like this, they really are just so good in the theater mm-hmm. where it's such it's a big screen. the best way to and, watch them. And the surround sound and everything. And, and we've just come to really love it. It's funny because I never watched movies in the theater as a kid. It just wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it's something we did, especially with four kids. It just wasn't, the expense wasn't worth it, probably, mm-hmm. to my parents. But um, I've definitely become a, a movie lover and love going to the theater to see things, especially our favorite franchise films. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it was really fun. And we really did miss going to see the movies yeah. during, the, during the quarantine. So it's really nice to be able to go back. Absolutely. And, you know, you said big films are best on the big screen i mean this is a big film yeah like this is you know i mean not compared to endgame i suppose but that's a very rarely gigantic film but this is a big film like it's long first of all i forget exactly but it's definitely over two hours um and it's a there's a lot going on right it's not some small drama it's like the world will end if diana doesn't save the day and it's big and it's colorful and it's dramatic and you know the power of wishes is literally ripping the world apart it's very dramatic very over the top um, you know, if you want to be really super realistic, this is not going to be your kind of movie, and that's okay. <laughs> I think this one sort of has fun with sort of the over-the-top campiness of it a little bit. I think that's somewhat appropriate for Wonder Woman, who's kind of a campy character. I mean, if you think about it, she's Diana, Princess of the Amazons. She's basically a, a goddess or she demigod. Is a goddess. She is a goddess. Yeah. So, you know, that foundation there is, you know, it's not going to be... It's not the gritty, realistic kind of stuff mm-hmm. of, like, Batman or, yeah. you know, things like that. Yep. You know, Dark Knight, it makes sense for that to be kind of grounded. But uh, this one, definitely over the top is appropriate, kind of like with a Superman movie. So let's, we always look at the Rotten Tomatoes score. So let's look at that a minute. So the critics score on Rotten Tomatoes is relatively low. It's 59%. Uh, and the audience score is 74%. So not surprisingly, I'm, this is not the least bit surprising to me. Critics, a little meh on it, appreciated some things about it, didn't like other things about it. Um, audiences generally fairly favorable, but not everybody loved it. Uh, the critics' consensus reads, Wonder Woman 1984 struggles with sequel overload, but still offers enough vibrant escapism to satisfy fans of the franchise and its classic central character. 
And I think that's a pretty fair reading. Like, we can talk a little bit about this too, but the idea of sequel overload, I mean, that would be one of my primary criticisms of the movie. Like, there's a lot going on. I like it all. I'm down for it. But there is a lot going on, and it's like, okay, that's a lot to cram into one movie. There's a mm -hmm. lot. It's just a lot, and I'm not surprised that if you are going to be nitpicky that that's probably the first thing to start picking at. Like, if you just want to have fun and watch a popcorn movie, like, that's fine then. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just as someone who cares about, like, structure and things like that, I'd agree with that. I think that's a fair criticism. And that Rotten Tomatoes summary sort of makes it seem like the critics are like, this is not, like, necessarily the most excellent of movies, but we get that it's fun and people enjoyed watching it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so we talked about how it's set in the 80s, and I think that's kind of crucial to being able to enjoy this movie yeah. and to its messages. So we'll talk about like the messaging with that. But I think, you know, the neon colors, the golden eagle outfit that she wears, which is just, you know, opulent and absurd, but also so cool. Um, the um, the over the top kind of campiness of it. I've seen a couple people compare it to like classic Superman movies, and it really does have that kind of feel, especially at the beginning. There's a great scene at the beginning where Diana's kind of not flying, but like jumping and running and swinging on her lasso around DC, rescuing people in just like small ways too, like rescuing someone who's being mugged and like pulling somebody out of the street and then uh, stopping a heist at a mall. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's not saving the world, but it's very kind of straightforward stuff. And you know, I have not seen any of the classic Superman movies. I really should. But I think that's kind of how they start too. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not high stakes, gritty drama like we see in a lot of modern movies, it's like, fun, campy, superhero, saves the day, protects the city. Uh, and it's brightly colored, and it's fun, and Diana gets to be awesome. Uh, so yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, the mall scene was definitely a lot of fun to watch. And I think it it honestly, in some ways, really set the stage mm -hmm. for the rest of the movie. And, it, you know, a mall is probably a good kind of example of the 80s. Mm -hmm. And just the, yeah, everything going on there. The opulence and the consumerism, which is such a big part of this. Like, yeah, it really sets the tone. I also love when she, like, picks up the one robber guy and, like, holds him by his ankle. And she's so tall because, you know, Gal Gadot is so tall. Yeah. But she's also wearing, like, uh, high heel, like, <laughs> boots of some kind. Like, they're, like, golden high heel sandals that she can also, I don't know. She's just so tall that she, like, holds the guy and, like, she's just standing flat-footed on her heels and his whole body is just like dangling and he's yep. not even touching the floor. It's just a great reminder that she is like this, you know, superhumanly beautiful, tall, crazy superhero. And mm -hmm. it's just such a good representation of like, this character is awesome. She's super cool. You should be intimidated by her and also think she's awesome. Yes, which we do. Exactly. And uh, while we're at it, for a long time, we discovered that we were saying uh, the name of the actress wrong uh, and... Here, you know, here and there, you hear different things. I think a lot of people would have said and would say Gal Gadot, um, but we recently heard her in a, a trailer saying her name, and it's Gal Gal Gadot, which I guess makes sense. She's Israeli. Mm -hmm. That does sound a little like a little more Hebrew, a little more Eastern mm -hmm. European kind of. Whereas I was kind of pronouncing it the French way, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So, yep, she's awesome. Obviously, she's just like we love her. <laughs> she is just a goddess in real life, right? Yeah. She's so beautiful. She's Gorgeous. so tall. She's strong. Like she was in the military herself. Like, yeah, that's really cool. It's mm -hmm. just you know, if you were looking for a superhero, awesome female superhero, like you found one. And again, she's very much kind of like Superman in that like 
She's not very, she doesn't seem very realistic or approachable or human, but she's not supposed to. She's this idealistic over the top hero and that's what makes it fun. So what are some other things you liked about the movie? Well, uh, lots of things, right? So the first one, we'll just, we keep mentioning the 80s and that's so important. So 80s opulence, right? It's the era of uh, Ronald Reagan. It's the era of like big oil booms. It's a time of prosperity. It's a time of technological advancement. Uh, it's a time of consumerism, right? The big, the first malls are opening. Um, you know, it's really kind of going from a slightly more traditional society into the society we have now, where there's technology and consumerism and so many products and stuff, and it's just so over the top. You know, there's the big hair and the brightly colorful clothes and all the cool stuff. Um, so that's really at the center of the story. Um, and it really is like the villain of the story. I'd say the villain of this story is greed. So our main villain, Maxwell Lord, his whole thing, his catchphrase is, uh, what do you wish for? Um, and he wants to, he wants great things for himself. And what's interesting is he presents himself as this, you know, very rich um, oil tycoon, you know. Uh, he shows up on TV a lot. Mm -hmm. He, he uh, is shown on the TV at the beginning and he's just very good at uh, presenting opportunity and he wants people to join his, invest in his oil company and mm -hmm. telling them that they can have it all if they do that because mm -hmm. he's trying to make it and build a successful company. And he's just very um, charismatic mm -hmm. and very good at selling himself. And it's interesting because like his other quote is like, life is good, but it could be better. Yep. Which, you know, is kind of designed like most commercials are designed to make you feel like your life is not good enough but mm -hmm. if you have the thing that they're selling then it will be yep and it's so interesting because he presents himself as absurdly wealthy and confident but we go back to his offices and the lobby is all fancy but you realize once you get through the lobby he's broke like he's got very little he's got a building and he's bought up a bunch of land that all the other oil companies passed on uh, and they cannot find any oil on any of this land. And he's got basically no money. He's got like one employee. All of his investors are freaking out. He's basically a con man is what it really turn, runs down to be. And we find out mm -hmm. that, in fact, he was like this um, TV show personality guy. I don't think we ever get know exactly what kind of show he had, but mm -hmm. he started off as this TV show personality guy. So he's not really a businessman. He's a performer. He's a, He's an ad man. He's a... A smooth talker who can convince people to do things and that's how he's gotten this company but the company's broke and he's in big trouble and he's under tremendous stress and i think that's interesting because he you know he presents himself so confident but then behind that there's nothing mm -hmm. and he feels like to have meaning in life he's got to have power and money um and that's kind of what he keeps saying like and we get a and we he really is a very humanized villain too he's not your simple cut and dry evil for evil's sake kind of villain mm -hmm. um on some level, I think one of the weaknesses maybe of the first Wonder Woman is that the villain Ares has a reason, which he explains, but I don't know. He's kind of just like, he's the embodiment of war, so he's just kind of bad. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, there's some interesting aspects to him, but I think Maxwell Lord is a much more interesting and complex villain. Um, and if we get some flashbacks of, like, his childhood. And Pedro Pascal himself, the actor, is, of course, uh, he's Chilean. It doesn't say in the movie if he's an immigrant or not, uh, but we get some brief flashbacks of like an abusive father and a rough home life as a kid. And clearly he has not, you know, he didn't grow up wealthy or anything like that. Maybe as an immigrant, um, he's clearly had some trouble in his life. 
And we get some flashbacks to him, like starting his business very small in a tiny little office and things like that. So he's the sort of guy who's worked very, very hard to present wealthy and believes that like wealth and power will solve all his problems if he can just achieve it. So he's this simple, you know, he's a very nasty person and who does very bad things and is very, very selfish. But I think he's a very relatable character, too. And it just fits into the whole idea of like the 80s is often considered a time of greed. Uh, And, you know, the stock market is booming and the oil industry is booming and where a lot of people are making a lot of money by exploiting other people, by exploiting the environment, by destroying the the environment, things like that. So there's a lot of bad going on, but a lot of people are getting very wealthy and greed is really driving people. And he's just kind of a personification of that, which I really liked. And again, even though it's the 80s, it's now too, right? We have Mm -hmm. the same problem. We have plenty of, you know, smooth talking people making a lot of money off exploiting other people and exploiting the world Um, and we live again in a very consumerist time um, where stuff is very important and i think all these lessons are perfectly applicable to us in 2021 just as they were in the 1980s so even though it's a period piece it's very relevant i think yeah and then just he gets this power to grant wishes and he gets to be like the one who can give you the thing you want and give himself the thing you want which is so interesting and just kind of embodies the more, 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 right? When he talks mm-hmm. to the president, who is definitely kind of modeled to look a little like Ronald Reagan, he asks him, what do you want? And he's like, what can be the answer except always more, always more, more weapons, more money, more power, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, I think the real villain is not Maxwell Lord, but greed. And Maxwell Lord needs to learn that there's things more important than power and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's going to ruin his life in the end if he's not careful. And what he's so good at, of course, is when he becomes the Dreamstone, he can offer people whatever they wish for, and in return, he takes whatever he wants from them. Their sometimes it's their strength or their money or their youth, and uh, which he he needs as he starts to sort of degrade the more wishes he gives out. And uh, what he's so good at and so formidable at is getting people to wish what he wants them to wish for and sometimes at one point he even gets someone to uh wish him wish him a meeting with the president and things like that and he's just very good at convincing people um to to want what they want and to to wish for it you know and of course i think part of it the whole thing the whole scheme is that of course plenty of people wish things all the time you could say i wish that the quarantine was over you could say you know i wish i had a million dollars <laughs> hot dog and i think part of the whole the whole schema there is that people will wish for plenty of things if given the opportunity and often people will not consider the consequences of getting what they wish for and that's what happens in this movie a lot of times over and over again which is what gives Max Lord more and more power. And I just love Pedro Pascal. Like, of course, we all love him now from The Mandalorian. Yeah. And I guess, you know, we didn't watch Game of Thrones, but I guess he was, that was, was kind of his was first big break. That? Yeah, he was in Game <laughs> of Thrones. I think that was like his first big break. Um, but now The Mandalorian. Um, but we didn't get to see his face in The Mandalorian. So this is kind of our first time really getting to know him as Pedro Pascal. And now mm-hmm. he's just kind of popping up in a bunch of places. He's in that new Netflix mm-hmm. superhero movie, too. So that's he just does a tremendous. He does such a good job of being vulnerable and scarred, but putting such a confident, suave face out to the world, but being so broken kind of behind that. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a really tremendous performance. Yes, very good. 
So I've talked a lot now, Andy. What are some of your favorite things from this movie? What did you like? Well, what can I say except that Chris Pine was in this movie? Of course. I should never have asked. (laughs) I should never have done it. I love Chris Pine a lot. Yes, yes, she does. My wife is in love with Chris Pine. We all know. I think it all really draws back to the first time I ever saw him in a movie, which was in The Princess Diaries 2, The Royal Engagement which is still one of my favorite movies, I think I, I would say. Um, it's just it's just so delightful. I liked it a lot as a kid, and I still kind of like it a lot. You know, Anne Hathaway, Julie Andrews, what's not to like? It's great. And uh, so he plays this... What's this... not to like? Well, Chris Pine and your obsession with him, I think that's right. the answer to that question. <laughs> so Easy answer. Give me a hard one next time. Anyway, we're not reviewing that movie right now, but... I, you know, I've always kind of like talk to Chris Andy Bryant. anytime and she'll happily do that for you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, in the first movie, Wonder Woman, Steve Trevor appears as uh, a pilot in World War One, not to be confused with the skinny soldier Steve Rogers in World War Two in a different uh, comic universe. Wonder whatever happened to him. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so he's just sort of a, a sweet all-around stand-up guy and so if you watch the first movie which i did you know that steve trevor is pretty much dead so i was very curious to see because in the previews he shows up and you see he's back and i was very curious to see how they did that and i think that's regrettable by the way i think they shouldn't have dropped that or only just barely hinted at it in the trailer because it was it could have been very astonishing in the movie yeah yeah but it was you just knew it was coming yeah I don't know. It might have been hard, I guess, because he's such a big star to keep it under wraps right. that he was in it. Mm-hmm. But they could have like pretended he was just in like flashbacks or something Maybe. like that. Yeah, I've, you know, that's the problem with trailers. Mm-hmm. Yep. We we sometimes definitely think we could do a better job making trailers than the trailers that exist. Sometimes. Yeah, it's like, what will get people to come watch this movie and make us lots of money? Not what will make the best artistic experience for them. <laughs> Again, that's. What's important is not the artistic quality, it's the what will get us more money. Apparently is... Disney and Fox and all the companies need to watch this movie and learn the lesson about right? greed. Right? So anyway, Steve Trevor comes back, um, which he does because that is Diana's one wish that she makes using the dream stone. That's the thing she always knew she would wish for if she had a wish. And so, uh, because she's very lonely and it's interesting to to look at the timeline and she's immortal so you know she's just kind of been gorgeous and young and beautiful uh for about 70 years now and she's been in love with steve this whole time and she's never really moved on and it's funny it's it's interesting because barbara who becomes a villain starts off as a friend kind of starts off as diana's sort of sidekick a little bit and then becomes a villain yeah so barbara is just envious of diana and thinks she's gorgeous and all that and and she must be very popular um but they actually go out for lunch and sort of become friends and barbara finds out that diana doesn't really get out much at all and doesn't see people very much even though she could and it's because diana's just in love with steve and has never moved on and also probably because it's probably kind of hard to have friends when you're immortal mm-hmm. <laughs> you stick around people too much they'll start to notice Yep, so that's probably the other part of it. But it's sort of a, a really beautiful moment, really, there between Diana and Barbara. And it's sort of 
points out how women can sometimes compete against each other and be very envious of each other. But really, we all, as Diana says, we all have struggles if you if you look deep down. And some people struggle a lot more than you think. Diana says she envies Barbara in some ways for her optimism and her sort of perkiness. In... Her warmth and socialness. Yes. Kind of. Yes. And so that's just a really good moment. I do like that moment a lot. And anyway, back to Steve. Uh, <laughs> of course. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, Steve comes back and they, um, you know, at first are just kind of enjoying being together. But then eventually they're like, hmm, maybe we should sort of figure out what this is all about. And that's sort of one of the very fun things about the movie is that Steve is from the 1910s. And so he doesn't know much about about the 80s life and all the, the new inventions and things like that. And, and first Diana has to get him dressed in the suitable 80s fashion. She's very fashionable, of course. And so uh, she gets him gets him a suitable outfit and there's a fun little photo or fun little fashion montage there, <laughs> which is enjoyable. Maybe not really what you were expecting, but it's fun and... Um, there's some of the, the funny moments with her and Steve, like about how they're trying to, um, at one point they're trying to get away on an airplane and he's like, I'm, I'm going to fly so fast and so well that they'll never catch us. And she's like, I forgot to tell you radar. <laughs> he's like, what? They're going to see us. Will they shoot at us? <laughs> like, Yep. <laughs> and it's fun. Cause that's like a reversal. Like the culture shock is a reversal of the previous oh, yeah. movie. Because Diana's basically from Magic Ancient Greece, and then she gets dropped in the middle of World War Two or World War One, and has to deal with that. And Trevor's like, "No, this is that's not a thing you do here. That's not what we do here." And it's all very awkward and humorous. And then here, it's kind of the opposite. Like here's the guy from the turn of the century dealing with the '80s, and Diana's been living in it, so she knows how it works, and she explains it to him mm -hmm. uh, and all the '80s things and. Like, the one, one thing he knows how to use is the phone book, and that's how he finds her. Some things are just future-proof. Which is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so the the culmination of sort of Steve being there at all kind of comes when they figure out that because Diana wished for Steve, she had to give up something. And she didn't intend to give up anything, which is how the Dreamstone sort of works. But she gave up her powers. Her powers start to get, go away, and she gets weaker. And this becomes a big problem when uh, Barbara gets stronger and gets her powers and starts beating her up. And, you know, it's just, it's not a great look. And Steve is the one really who convinces her that he, that she needs to let him go. Because the only way to save everyone and to put everything back is if everyone gives up their wish. And that includes Diana. And this is the part when I started crying because it's like the world's falling apart. Everything's breaking. Washington, D.C. is breaking, and Diana's heart is breaking because she has to say goodbye to Steve again. It's so sad. And, yes, and he's, you know, he's just a stand-up guy. He's a good guy, and he knows what, what needs to happen, and he convinces her to give him up, and she does. She takes back her wish, and she gets her powers back, and she saves the day. Um, but it's just such a sad little scene where she just, she doesn't even look at him and she just walks away and he goes away. And it ties into one of the main messages of the film, which we get 
So another great scene that I love is at the beginning, there's like these Amazonian Olympics Mm -hmm. and it's back when Diana's just a little kid and she's adorable. That's just fun to watch. It's just a really fun, exciting, um, great scene. You know, I'm sure there's lots of CGI involved, but it's really impressive and fun looking. And she is in this competition. Um, and then because she's little, she kind of, she makes a mistake. She gets a little arrogant. She falls off her horse. Mm -hmm. Then she uses a shortcut to catch up so that she can win. But her aunt pulls her out at the last minute before she can win and tells her it's not really a win if you cheated to get there. If you Mm -hmm. took the shortcut, um, you aren't being truthful about your win. And and then Mm -hmm. no victory can really be victory without it being truthful. So one of the central lessons of the movie is that you can't take a shortcut. Mm -hmm. And the Dreamstone gives shortcuts. Yeah. And a shortcut may seem good. Being happy getting what you want may seem good. But the lesson is that the Dreamstone always takes away Right, and I don't think anybody really ends up happy from the Dreamstone. Uh, they get what they want, but they also lose something that's important to them. Diana loses her powers. Barbara loses her warmth and humanity. Uh, Max Lord, who's quite obsessed with his health and how healthy he is, loses his health mm-hmm. uh, and almost loses his son, too. That's kind of the unintentional side effect. Um, so you lose something, and I don't think anybody actually ends up happy because they used a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took the easy route, um, not the truthful, honest route, and... Mm-hmm. Without truth, there can be no real happiness and victory. And that means you got to give some things up. You got to lose things. And life involves loss. And it's really, truly painful. And I think the movie does a good job of showing that with Diana giving up Steve. Um, But she could not win. Not just she couldn't have her powers back, but she couldn't really live truthfully in the world where she, you know, cheated death and took the easy route, the selfish route to be happy. Um, Mm -hmm. She's never going to be happy. The only way she can really be happy is to accept Steve's death and move on and try to live. Uh, and then the only way Max Lord can ever truly be happy is to accept his powerlessness and imperfections and and be happy with what he does have, his son and his health and things like that. And the only way Barbara can truly be happy is to learn to be happy and proud of her, her good, kind human self mm-hmm. and not rely on being like Diana. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the really beautiful lessons of the movie. And in the end, Diana kind of convinces everybody who's made a wish to give up their wish to do the selfless thing um, to save the world because it will be, even though they won't have the thing they wanted, it will be infinitely better um, for being true. Mm -hmm. That is one of the things I really like about this movie, I think, is that the messaging is so good. I think some of the through lines of this movie are just that the truth is always important. uh, As Diana's aunt tells her at the beginning that no goodness comes from a lie. And also that having it all is not always the best thing for us. And it almost never is. And I think it's also really important how the way Diana saves the day really is by telling that message that the truth is beautiful. The truth is important and it's all we have in some in some ways. And she convinces Max Lord to rescind his wish. And he really only does so because of the love of his son. Um, but she also convinces everyone else in the world to rescind their wishes with her speech. And she also had to give something up. I think that's really important. Both the villain and the hero had to give something up in order for this to work, in order for the apocalypse to be circumvented and for everything to be okay again. Mm-hmm. A brief fun fact. Uh, you mentioned We mentioned uh, Diana's aunt, who plays a pivotal role at the beginning, just a small pivotal role. Her aunt is Antiope. Uh, and she's played by Robin Wright. And do you know who else Robin Wright plays? No. Princess Buttercup. Oh, really? 
<laughs> That's funny. One other thing I really love about both Wonder Woman movies is, you know, obviously we've there's been a long road to get proper female representation in superhero mm-hmm. movies and Wonder Woman and then Captain Marvel and now the second Wonder Woman movies are kind of the first couple movies to do that pretty well mm-hmm. to have a a single female superhero at the center of it not part of a team where she's one out of five mm-hmm. or one out of 25 or however many or yeah. or she's Ant-Man and the Wasp right or Still something not like quite that there. Yep, you know, it's not, and there's been so many solo male superhero movies, but not many female ones. So Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman does a great job of that. Captain Marvel does a great job of that. But one thing I'm interested about is um, how can we have a proper female superhero movie that it really embraces some kind of open-minded feminist ideas, not simply by having a female in the lead role, right? Mm -hmm. How can a female superhero movie be different from a male superhero movie? because and and in some ways unique and better for having a female lead mm-hmm. and you know I, what i like about diana is on some level she solves problems differently than males do like she is super powerful you know she is practically superman even more so in this version because she does like learn to fly and stuff yeah um it's a little op obviously yeah uh, but uh you know it's good um, so she is super powerful and strong and tall, and she can mostly does solve problems by fighting and things like that, as is typical in a superhero movie. But compared to a superhero movie where almost always the answer is you have to beat the bad guy in a fight, mm-hmm. the way she really saves the day in this movie is not by beating Maxwell Lord in a fight. She talks to him, and she talks to him about like goodness and truth. Mm-hmm. And it's by convincing him of goodness and truth and his love for his son and convincing the rest of the world to um, be better to give up their wishes to do the right thing and be selfless. And by her leading the way in that by being the first to give up her wish and to give up something that meant an awful lot to her and just make that sacrifice for the greater good. Mm-hmm. That's how she saves the day. Not by being stronger, not by being faster, um, not by punching somebody, but by speaking truth and encouraging people to do what's right and i think that's quite lovely and i think you know that's the way forward is to say well perhaps you know and not that women are inherently better than men but traditionally men are associated with physical activity more and women with emotional intuitiveness more and a better world will be that we all learn to be both we learn to be strong and kind Mm -hmm. but as it is women are taught to be emphasize emotions more and i think that's kind of diana's additional superpower her goodness and i think that's on display in the first movie but it's directly the thing that kind of saves the day in this movie which i really like Mm -hmm. also with that um oh another thing with like the feminist superhero movie as we've talked about before just the way that you know it shows that she's beautiful but it doesn't like objectify her as much just like the way the camera does things like it's not ogling her the way cameras tend to do women in action movies right focusing on uh her beauty and focusing on her body um you know and it certainly shows that she's beautiful and she's not exactly wearing the most modest of outfits but yeah it's it's much less male gazy than typically is with like um you know black widow in an avengers movie or something like that um and that's really good because you know movies are mostly made by men and tend to be very kind of sexist in their camera work that way and i really appreciate that in the costuming too like it's not though the women are beautiful the emphasis is not on like their sexiness and their bodies nearly as much as in most action movies 
Well, and you mentioned that the outfits in um, the Justice League movie, I, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. You can see it um, because I've seen pictures. I haven't seen the Justice League movie. So I guess, I don't know. I guess I can't necessarily judge it. But uh, but I think it's true. Yeah. Well, but so I've seen pictures of the costumes that the Amazons wear in the, the Justice League movie. And then you compare it to the ones they wear in the Wonder Woman movie. And they're just very different. And there's this whole complaint that girls have a lot of times... Uh, especially girls who are like gamers um, of how any female character that's like supposed to go into battle or something like that always ends up wearing some kind of like armor ish sort of outfit that wouldn't really protect anyone. Doesn't, it doesn't cover their vital organs because it's very skimpy and tiny. And that definitely is on display in the justice league version of the Amazon outfits, but in wonder woman, they're a lot more strong of outfits and they aren't, focused on objectifying them they're focused on projecting strength and we might as well we kind of hinted at it lay our cards on the table we have not seen that many of the dc movies of the modern dc eu movies i've seen man of steel yep we've both seen man of steel Mm -hmm. we've been kind of avoiding batman versus superman and the justice league movies because just no one we know has liked them really very much and we just haven't heard very good things about it we like wonder woman a lot we like the second wonder woman so we we give the caveat that we probably haven't seen enough DC movies to entirely make judgment, but we're not big fans. <laughs> we weren't big fans of Man of Steel anyways, and that's yep. kind of what we can say about it. But we are big Wonder Woman fans. Definitely. Yep. Not so sure about all the DC movies. You know, love me some uh, Christian Bale Batman, but I'm not so sure about this Ben Affleck guy. And that's all we're going to say about that. Got anything else uh, you love about the movie that we haven't touched on yet? I suppose one thing that the DC Cinematic Universe does have going for it is that it was first to put out a female solo movie. Absolutely. So applause to them. Good good for them. They they put out Wonder Woman and it was pretty good. It was really good and I mean I mean it was directed by a woman so that yep. probably helped. All hail Patty Jenkins yep. who is making the industry a better place. And is like maybe the sole savior of the DC Cinematic yep. Universe. Yep. So. So and like as we we've been <laughs> complaining about the DC movies like to be fair they made like five movies and the only good one and you know they only made one good movie and it was Wonder Woman but it was Wonder Woman and it came out before Captain Marvel right. which was the very first and Marvel it, which was the very first female solo Marvel action movie and it took Marvel like 25 movies yeah, to get there like 25 <laughs> so DC definitely got there a lot faster Yep. So props to them. Snaps. Yep. Snaps. <laughs> I don't know. Props to them for that. If only that. Credit where credit is due. Yep. <laughs> One other just fun little thing I like is the invisible jet oh, yeah. thing. Like it's fun because it like it's not like, you know, because the invisible jet is an utterly absurd vehicle in the comics. Like that's a weird thing for Diana to have. Uh, but they do it kind of it fits in well. It makes sense in the story. And it's so funny, like, when you realize what they're doing. Like, it takes you a little while to realize what they're going for there. It's very subtle. Yeah, it's it's much more subtle, and you wouldn't think the invisible jet... Well, I suppose the invisible jet is very subtle, because it's invisible. Oh, yeah. But, but the concept of the invisible jet is so absurd and on the nose that you couldn't right. think it could possibly be worked into this movie without just being stupid. But the way but they, they introduce it. it is pretty good. And I also like that scene where they're, like, flying through the fireworks. It is oh, a beautiful cool. scene. Yeah. It is really pretty. That's neat. Maybe ill-advised, but it, still Yeah, me. it's not the smartest thing to do, maybe, but I don't know. Magic goddess superpowers is yeah, fine. You know, it's 
good. It's all good. That so, was pretty cool. There is definitely a lot to love here. Was there anything you didn't like about that movie? There were a few things. So as I mentioned, I totally agree with the, the Rotten Tomatoes thing about there's a lot going on. Like there's nothing I want to cut out, but I do feel like probably something needed to be cut out because there's just so much going on. It's all a little over the top. Like, and I do like that it kind of takes a long time before like it really gets into the action. Like, we kind of get to know Diana in this time and see what's going on. We get to know Barbara a little bit. So I quite liked that, but it does go on for quite a while. Um, I don't know. There's, you know, it's just like nowadays, it's like we have high expectations for our movies pacing because we have long-form TV that can tell a long story and but do it well. So, you know, it's just hard. And, and a big flamboyant superhero movie like this, it's hard to do. Um, so I do have some problems with that. I don't think it's terrible. I think there's maybe a few pacing and plot hole things in regards to that, like how exactly Barbara goes from just being strong and beautiful to becoming this cheetah monster isn't terribly made sense. I don't know. It's a little it's a little hard to follow. We have we have only seen it once, to be fair. So That's maybe a, upon a second watch, that will make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that was very artfully worked in. Right. Um, I don't know. Um, but then the one other thing I do kind of not care for in this movie is the mechanics of how Steve came back. Steve coming back, totally down for that. Chris Pine did great as much as I gripe about him trying to steal my wife. He's great, and and he works wonderful in the movie. I don't care for the mechanics of how they did it, because how they do it is apparently, it's very weird, and it's never fully explained, but apparently Steve's soul kind of come back, comes back and inhabits another dude's body, and to Diana, he looks like Steve, and he is Steve, but it's not Steve. And, like, there's some weird repercussions with that. I don't know. Like, right. like where is that guy? Right. I mean, they kind of hijacked this guy. And, like, I guess what they're trying to do is, like, well, there's repercussions to your wish, Diana. And, like, right. you're hurting somebody else and stealing his life and you can't keep doing this. But, like, they don't really deal with that. They're just kind of like, oh, well, this is nice. I mean, that's weird, but uh, fine, I guess. Okay. And, like, in the end, of course, Diana lets Steve go and this guy comes back and they have a nice little moment where she, like, bumps into that guy and maybe they'll be friends or even have a romantic relationship someday. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a nice moment at the end for sure. But I just thought it was really weird. And I feel like with a movie that has so much going on, it was sort of an unnecessary addition. So I would have, I think it would probably be a slightly better movie if they just cut out that particular bit of weirdness because there's plenty of other weirdness going on. If he just, like, materialized, like... Okay, it's weird, but there's plenty of other stuff just materializing and being absurd in this movie, so I don't think it's that far of a stretch. Right. And then he just kind of Endgame or uh, Infinity War disappeared at the end. You know, it would have been sad. I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. But again, this movie is so long, and there's so much going on, and there's so much weird stuff. Like you need to cut something, and that was the weirdest, most disturbing part of it, that felt the least necessary. So that's what I would cut. That's the first thing I would cut. It'd be like, okay, weird subplot with body snatching, not necessary. Let's just make Steve appear out of thin air and then disappear. And if, you, if you're questioning that, well, there's plenty of other things to question in this movie, so don't bother. I wonder if they, I kind of wonder if they only did that so they could have the parachute pants scene. Right, I guess, like, <laughs> where do all the clothes come from? But they could have just gone they to a mall. mall. Yeah. Like, they do that in um, the first one when yeah, they take her true. to the store to, like, try out funny. clothes. Yeah, my thing with that was that it just didn't make sense to me how she knew so quickly what had happened right because the way it works is that he comes up to her at first and he looks like the guy that he steve is living in that he stole that he stole body snatched and then she's like i don't know you dude and then he's like he says 
Which is good because like all the other men at the party are like hitting on her because she's beautiful and she doesn't want them to. Right. Yeah. And then this one guy is just very persistent about it, and you're which, like, oh, he's which just could a, be bad. He's <laughs> just a, one of these jerks. Yep. But then it turns out Steve, and he, he can't possibly be a jerk, right? So the way that kind of happens <laughs> does fit kind of nicely. Yeah, that's true. That makes a little sense. But just by the morning, she's like, okay, so what's happened is the Dreamstone has turned this other guy into my boyfriend, mm-hmm. and. We should probably figure out how that happened. But first of all, I want to know how she knew that that's what happened. Right. Because it makes zero sense. Well, and it, again, it's just like, we've got so much going on in this movie. We really don't have time for Diana to spend like a day puzzling this exactly. out. Exactly. So, but then, yeah. But we couldn't cut any of the other weird stuff with <laughs> yeah. the situation. So we're just going to skip ahead on that one. So that was really the one thing that I was not on board for. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely one of those moments where it's like, and no thought, just jump to the next plot point. Yep, yep. I can think of something else they could cut, though. Oh. When Barbara says, you can read Latin? Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an expert in Latin, but Latin is not that uncommon. Like, my high school teaches Latin to teenagers. Like, people speak Latin. Yep, and the the fact that Diana has a job as an anthropologist at the Smithsonian would probably mean that she can speak Latin. Well, and I don't think they <laughs> specify this in the movie, but according to, like, the Wikipedia page, she's an anthropologist of Mediterranean, ancient Mediterranean cultures. <laughs> so, you know, the people that spoke Latin. Yeah. Like, yes, she speaks Latin and Greek. Obviously, that's her job. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know what... I guess I'm just, you know, an academic, arrogant person, but, like, it's so stupid to me. That's such a stupid line. I think that's just... It's just a line for, for people that don't know It's just a line for average people academics. who haven't taken Latin. And who would be shocked if any random person knew you how to You speak Latin? It. Yeah. Well, and also... Kristen Wiig's character should probably know some Latin too. She like, probably she's should. an anthropologist. I think she no, I think she does rocks. Right. That's she's she more does. like well, she's got like a bunch of things. I think she mentioned yeah. like cryptozoology in there too and Oh yeah. Gemology mm-hmm. and geology and yeah. a bunch of things. So maybe she doesn't need Latin for that. Yeah. Still. Well, but she works with science. Like science yeah. people know some Latin. You're that's just, true. That's I don't true. Know. It, that's a stupid line. <laughs> they it, they meant it as a joke, but it wasn't funny. It was dumb. It wasn't funny. And then I guess I would say the last thing that It's not something I would want to cut out of the movie. I think it belonged in the movie, but that just made me cringe a lot was the whole scene with the president and Max Lord when he asks the president what he wishes for and the president wishes for more nukes, more weapons, more of everything. And it's like that fits perfectly with with Mm -hmm. everything. And it's not that I want them to take it out, but it was like deeply uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Well, but I think it's just the ultimate fulfillment of all the greed and stuff, especially set in the 80s. And I think, you know, again, this could happen today. But I think just the simple fact that, of course, that's what, you know, Ronald Reagan or a president of the 80s would want. Mm -hmm. And like that was a time where the actual imminent destruction of the world was a very real possibility mm-hmm. if you granted a wish to the president of the United States or the premier yeah. of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Like, certainly such things could happen today, but, it, you know, things were such hair trigger in the 80s that that was a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and that set off, really, the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it showed how, you know, really, the, the way that the world was falling apart in a lot of ways was that uh, nukes were showing up everywhere and... It's just sort of a domino effect mm-hmm. of, of all the countries freaking out and mm-hmm. and aiming weapons at each other. And uh, that was what was, I think, also very interesting was that the stakes were so high. It was not this 
oh, well, this could, this big crazy thing could happen. They're like, there might be some kind of like dissolving or weird sciencey thing that could happen that would be bad. You mm -hmm. know, it was like, no, the world is literally tearing itself apart mm -hmm. and it, we will all be dead unless something happens. And there's to cows it. running around and all the yeah. yuppies are race, racing their Porsches up and down the street. Yep. Because <laughs> that's so what all the, oh, that's what all the yuppies wanted to wish for, for Porsches, which is great. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So to sum up, does Wonder Woman 1984 get the AP stamp of approval? Absolutely. I'd say it's AP, AP approved. approved. I think it's fun. It's nostalgic. There's some problems with it, no doubt. Um, it's hard to make a big blockbuster movie without some plot holes and some moments that drag and things that don't quite fit together perfectly. That's, you know, really hard with such a big action movie. But it's a lot of fun. It's colorful. It's lively. It's funny. It's inventive. And I think it has a good heart and some really good messages in there and some tremendous acting performances from a lot of great actors that we like yeah it was just a lot of fun to watch we loved kirsten wig gal gadot pedro pascal chris pine they were all really good actors and it was just a fun especially time. chris pine right of course especially chris pine but it was just a really good time and and of course we were very happy to get back to our superhero movies that yep. we love and be back in the theater and it's a good time so you know maybe if you're looking for a super w excellent well done oscar movie that's not really right. going to be it but what this I think isn't going to win all the oscars if you're just going to look looking for a good time this is this is great and mm -hmm. you know we're all about positivity here so yep. so we really liked it yep bring on and the feminist superhero movies we're all yes. about that give us more please yep. <laughs> and hey that's okay right there's bad male superhero movies too and this isn't a bad movie at all nope. but there's perfect practically perfect super male superhero movies and really poor ones and in-between ones and everything. And we just need a whole bunch of female superhero movies so we can mm -hmm. have the great ones and the good ones and the mediocre ones and the bad ones, you know. Yep. But just female representation of all kinds. We want that. And give us Black Widow. Yes, please. We need this. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just thought of... Can you imagine if Endgame was supposed to come out in 2020? Oh my goodness. Let's not... Think about that tragic scenario. Uh, I'm so glad that we got to see yeah. that with everyone. You know, if it needed to happen, if the pandemic needed to happen, I'm glad it happened after Endgame. Yes. Because <laughs> then we were prepared for an end of the world scenario. Right? <laughs> it taught us what to do. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess one, one final, one more thing is that uh, another podcaster, Jamie Golden, said something about there's so few female-centric movies that maybe we don't need to nitpick the ones that do exist. Yep. <laughs> happy to be here. Yes, we are. We're happy to be here in 2021, re reviewing movies and talking to you guys. It's a new year. New movies are coming out. Theaters are open. I am hopeful for the future. Hooray! Huzzah. So thank you so much for listening to our review of Wonder Woman 1984. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. And please tune in next time for another great episode about uh, fun pop culture stuff and what we loved about it. And may we all be like Diana and stand up for goodness and truth in the face of greed and selfishness. Amen. Bye, everybody. Bye.